You're listening to The Report Card. The Report Card podcast is a commentary show about contemporary American politics and international affairs, where hosts Scott Dworkin and Grant Stern grade what they're seeing in the news each week and take your questions, too. You're listening to The Report Card, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. And I'm Scott Dworkin. And this is where we get a chance to speak directly with you guys, our amazing, amazing listening audience, about all the issues of the day. And we get to take your questions. We get to grade the news. So if you want us to grade something that's happening in the news, if you got a comment, if you got a question, this is our chance to have a nice chat. So, Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. You know, I just... Uh... Retweeted Peter Morley, who just posted the show on Twitter. So I, I appreciate you, Peter. Love you, brother. Yeah, everybody who posts the show, uh, we promise we're going to retweet you guys. And that's another reason to listen to the podcast, because, hey, if you need to retweet, here we are right now. We're ready. <laughs> right. That's, that's a good we got we to use that. I think we got to use that because it's it, – well, a lot of those, these folks have been retweeted by us because they're just amazing to start off with. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's been a, been a good past few days for, um, you know, given everything that's going on and given the last few years, right, brother? I would say so. I think there's some okay developments happening, at least a few glimmers of hope out there. A lot of people raised their hands when I asked if, uh, Madison Cawthorn losing gave them a glimmer of hope. Uh, and, and that's, hey, you know, it's actually like one of the top things we want to talk about today because, well, it appears that Republicans have standards. We did not know that until Tuesday. <laughs> well, I mean, that's uh, it's North Carolina. And as you know, I went to school in North Carolina, grew up in North Carolina after Ohio. And, and uh, it's we, we don't play. We don't play with this this kind of nonsense. You, you saw John Edwards get pushed out of politics completely. And it's just we have a past history of not putting up with this kind of nonsense. And so I think that it's the the right call that he, he was still voted out. But I think he's still got like 30 percent of the vote, which is just screwed up beyond belief. Right. I, I think it just goes to show you the power of incumbency, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, even he, the he worst did, incumbent. I don't think McCarthy like McCarthy didn't support him like, but he has to under some circumstances. So it was like a weird thing. But there were Republicans leaking these videos out. You know, like these are oh, it had to be crazy. Republicans. Look at look crazy. at what these videos were. I mean, these people these videos were recorded by his closest confidants. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, just FYI, Blue Voter says there's an echo. I I. Don't know if there is, but maybe we play with it. Oh, I, I see what's happening here. Got it. Um, so anyways, we, we we have a lot to go over the show. There's a breaking news here. You want to talk about that to start the show? Um, uh, yeah, let's talk about that because people may not know that it is even happening yet. Yeah, so you obviously, um, with child, like you, you can speak more to this than I, uh, but President Biden invoked the Defense Production Act recently, just like breaking news, to address this infant formula shortage, among other actions that he's done. Um, so he's using companies to help uh, import d approved, FDA-approved uh, infant formula. So, so, Grant, can you tell people about what, what the story is about? So, I mean, the story is about a company named Abbott uh, up in Michigan, and they allowed bacterial contamination to impact 
their production of infant formula. And I mean, I, I've got a four and a half year old. She's off the formula now, of course. But like she, she used formula. She, you know, she grew up on formula as a, a small child. And I can tell you right now, it's absolutely indispensable. I mean, as a parent, like you're just like always making this stuff. And, uh, you know, babies need to be fed every three hours. That's eight times a day. You know, and you can't, it's not optional. It is not optional. So this is, this is just going to impact so many millions of people. And it's really unfortunate that, you know, it took a long time to get for them to like come to an agreement with the FDA and to restart production. But it's such a serious thing when you have bacterial contamination in a food chain, babies died, like babies died from contaminated formula. So that's why we have the shortage. Um, It's, it's really sad. I mean, reading about this stuff just uh, as a parent, it upsets me. So, right now, and it's, you know. uh, I know it's been a big issue. Now, what what I think is screwed up, like and shitty of the right, of course, is they go immediately into President Biden. Why did you do this? Like, and and you know, there's a lot of stuff to do here. Do you think it's his fault? Like, how does this how does this work out for him? How how is he involved? I mean, Joe Biden did not contaminate the baby formula. Well, yeah, he was exactly. in the White House. That's what they're acting like. That's what they're acting like, and that's what's so screwed up about. Yeah, it. I don't and I mean like the it. the fact that the FDA took a while to to come to a, an understanding that let them open the plant, you know, memorandum. I mean, pe- babies died. People's babies died over this. Like, do you really want to risk so many? I mean, come on, man. Value of life. Is there any value of life after the fetus uh, passes through the mother's canal? I, I say yes. I think it's important to get it right. And, um, you know, it's just unfortunate. But what can you say? You know, a lot of times the federal government with its two and a half million employees, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And and that's tough. I mean, it's just going to happen like that sometimes. And, and here we are. Um, but again, like uh, who can blame Joe Biden for baby formula being contaminated? I mean, there yeah, was uh, another problem where the labs that were producing the, the J&J uh, vaccine and other shots, they had a contamination problem. And it was a little bit different because that was a government contract. People blamed the government for giving a producer with a bad record this important contract. This is just so different. This is a matter of private business. And, of course, it's become public because it really is an emergency for infants. I mean, I was reading that there are 3,000 Americans that just rely on formula because they have – certain deficiencies and they use baby formula like they survive nutritionally on baby formula. So I I hope that it gets solved. I think this is the right thing for Joe Biden to do. Um, You know, he always swore that he'd use every tool to improve Americans lives and to save lives. And this is certainly that. Right. I I think it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes from here, but I'm just glad that he's in the white house and not that other buffoon. You know, and this is this is one of those examples of where, you know, President Biden being in there and his staff. Keep that in mind. It's not just about Biden, but his staff. You want Stephen Miller? You want Steve Bannon advising on this shit? No, absolutely not. Well, you know, Wayne pointed out Wayne pointed out that the Republicans are calling for not giving formula to infants of immigrants, which is horrifying. I mean, that's really some Nazi shit. Right there. Well, they locked I'm sorry. Them up in it cages. is. They locked them up in cages. We know that. And we, they didn't care. And then they made excuses about it. Remember, Ivanka called it summer camp. 
Ah, uh, uh, yes, summer camp. No, I mean the, seriously, the employee of the White House, but not employee, right? <laughs> the unpaid employee, right, right. Uh, but <laughs> but yeah, it's salary. you know the, this obsession with just inflicting pain. I mean. You know, most people think it's fair that everybody feels a little bit of pain. It's just going to happen. But some people think that, you know, only the other, uh, only the other person should feel pain. And that's, that's a sad thing. You know, instead of people bearing burdens like adults, they look to shift blame and everything to them is a, a really ghastly political issue. And it's all about showing how they've got something you don't have. I mean, how many people are going to be upset that we're sending some baby formula to, to feed babies of immigrants when they don't even have kids and this doesn't impact them. Probably a lot of people. And that's really sad too. Yeah. I think we should just try to feed as many babies as possible. Like I, I, if they're available, if they're there, like we should not have limitations to it. We're, this is a humanity thing. It's not just an American thing. And I think that this is another example of, you know, how Biden is spreading around the vaccine across the world. We need to, not not do that with baby formula, but with the people that are here, we need to take care of people that are here. If they're on our land, we're responsible for them, whether Republicans like it or not. And so we need to provide them with care. It's not the baby's fault they're here. You know, this is like the whole when they had that anchor baby kind of thing where, uh, you know, dreamers, they're to blame for it. No, they're here. They've been here their entire lives. They are Americans. They're just as American as you and I. And so uh, with, when it comes to these babies, they have no say about it, but they do need to eat. You know what I mean? So I, I just I, I find it sickening and I find it to be just the pro-birth party, you know? It is a strange time we live in. I will tell you that. Uh, what's next on our list? And then we'll take some calls right after that. Well, I'll tell you what's next on our list is there's a story by a guy named uh, Grant Stern, and it's an exclusive that you wrote about the Proud Boys and uh, the Republican Party in Florida. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your exclusive? So it's a two-part story, and I wrote it with Tomas Kennedy, who is a member of the Democratic National Committee, and he's one of our authors over at Occupy Democrats. Uh this is just like, I mean, seriously, we were talking about it this morning, and I'm going to share the first story in the, the – actually, I'm going to share both of these in the, the chat for everybody. Uh, the first one is entitled, Police Intervene After Miami GOP's Proud Boys Members Brawl at DeSantis's Speech to the Party. Uh, you know, and the reason that they're all at the party uh, for this speech is because they are the party now. Um, that's really scary to say, but they are the party. And the reason I could tell you that is because of this other story that Tomas and I just released. It's part two of the series, uh, which is entitled Exclusive. Here's the Proud Boys plan to take over the Republican Party in South Florida. Now, why is that important? I mean, is there a national angle to that? Yes. <laughs> yes, there is. And I'll tell you why. Because the Republican Party's rise from... Being out of power in the 1970s in the wake of Watergate to holding all the levers of power started in South Florida, where the Republican Party organized the Cuban-American community, and it was the Bush family who did it. Jeb Bush moved here, 
okay? And they organized the, the Cuban Americans in South Florida as a swing vote. They swung the state from a solidly democratic state into a state that has now been under Republican control for 20 years. And they did it from Miami-Dade. It all started in Miami-Dade, which is the largest county in Florida. I mean, by population, okay? The people in Jacksonville are bigger by land size, but they only have about a million residents in that big city of Jacksonville. There's two and a half million people in Miami-Dade County here. So strategically, this has always been a very important place for Republicans. And, you know, the fact that the Proud Boys are actively organizing to take over the Miami-Dade Republican Party, the Broward Republican Party, and then eventually Palm Beach is a pretty big deal. So real quick, uh, we have Kristen on the line, so I'm just going to interrupt real quick and we can come back to your story. Oh, sure. Yeah, let's bring her on the stage. Thanks for joining us, Christian. Uh, Kristen. Here, I'm going to make you the next caller. There you are. Hey. What's going doing? on? Doing good. Thanks for taking the time tonight. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Always great to, to be with you, too, Scott and Grant. So, Kristen, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? You, you were always into politics, but can you tell them about the event that really thrust you into the spotlight? <laughs> sure. Um, well, I was, I was a teacher at the time, um, and uh, I was a teacher for a long time, and I uh, always did advocacy on the side and attended protests and that sort of thing. Um, but I had a moment in uh, 2018 when um, I was out to lunch with some family in D.C., and uh, this was during the Trump times, and uh, an illustrious gentleman, he's actually neither of those people, was in the same restaurant. It was uh, Scott Pruitt, who was the head of the Environmental Protection Agency under Trump. And this was a guy who, listeners may recall, was just, ex even by Trump's swampy standards, just extremely corrupt. The abuses of tax dollars was just totally over the yeah, he was he was like extra Trump uh, swamp. Um, and the there you go. Yeah, um, Trump installed him to the EPA, you know, a dozen times, and so uh, you know, no better person to put in charge of the EPA to in order to dismantle it from the inside than you know this guy. So uh, you know, environmental groups had been trying to get rid of him for a long long time, of course, and he never was you know was seen in public, of course, in the same restaurant having tacos. So, um, you know, I was like, I mean, I got to say something to him. So I went over, I had my two-year-old with me and, uh, introduced myself and, you know, told him that he should resign. And, uh, <laughs> and I listed off some of his scandals and, uh, you know, he, he at first was, seemed to be a little bit maybe pleased to be recognized. And then, uh, you know, when we started, when I started listing off his scandals, it became clear that he was quite uncomfortable. Uh, and, um, that video, my husband took a video. Um, I didn't think too much of it, but put it on Twitter, put it on Facebook, and it went viral. And uh, he resigned a couple days later. So it was how about a, that? It was a it was a wild time. And now, to be clear, you know, it wasn't like he resigned because I told him to resign. That was like one nail in a the coffin that a lot of people had been working on for a long time. But it, but it was. You know, it was a it was a good moment, and um, I wanted to really use that time because then I was suddenly on the news circuit to amplify as many of the groups that had been doing that good work 
you know, for a long time. So whatever folks wanted me to do, you know, name drop them or shout out a rally or make a promotional video or come speak at a thing or, you know, whatever. I was just trying to do as much of that as I possibly could while I had that 15 minutes so that I could, um, you know, help help those organizations that have been doing so much good work. And that kind of put me in touch with the organizing side of things. And I uh, started kind of seeing the inner workings about how, you know, protests get put together and how movements gets built and, and all of these things. And uh, one thing led to another, and I ended up switching from teaching um, into organizing. So uh, now I work for a nonprofit called the Center for Popular Democracy. I'm their senior legislative organizer, and that's what I do all day now. That's awesome. Uh, Scott told me that you're running for office. I am also doing that. So that's what I do all night and all weekend. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. But uh, yeah, I'm running for county council. I'm in Montgomery County, Maryland. Uh, so just outside D.C. And it's a relatively blue uh, space. We have a Republican governor here. Uh, but Montgomery County is one of the most liberal uh, places in Maryland. And um we, you know, I'm in a district that the lines were redrawn. We added two new districts and the district that I'm in now is uh, in an area of the county that has, has never kind of had a district to itself before. Um, we've always been a much larger district that, it, that included other, you know, wealthier areas and areas that were very politically active. Um, so the, the district that I'm in now is made up of a lot of neighborhoods that have been ignored and underrepresented. For a long time, we see very inequitable investments in this part of the county. So it's a real opportunity to hopefully get onto the county council and really champion the needs of the folks on this part of the county. And then also to, you know, collaborate with progressives who are, you know, across the county to, to get some really strong policy passed, not just for this county, but hopefully that can also serve as model policy, uh, policy for surrounding areas and, uh, you know, across the states. And you had a recent fun interaction, not with Joe Manchin, but uh, outside of his yacht, I think. Yeah. Oh, we talked to him. He was there. Um, oh, he was. Yeah. Okay. What, what oh, did he yeah. have to say? Oh, you know, nothing of value. Um, <laughs> we This was in the midst of Build Back Better, trying, you know, trying to get that, as we were all trying to get that over the line. Um, and he was the last man standing there. And um, he had, you know, I, I work with organizers from all different places, and that includes West Virginia. And folks, a lot of people in West Virginia really wanted to see that passed. And then he would come to D.C. and say, my people don't want it. Well, there were Republicans who wanted a lot of the things in Build Back Better, wanted those things done, who still want those things done. We could still do those things. Um, and so, you know, we were I wanted to bring West Virginians to D.C. and bring their voices to D.C. We were kind of, you know, thinking about how to do that. What we ended up doing was, uh, well, a little background for any listeners who don't know is that Joe Manchin lives on a yacht when he's in D.C. He has multiple fancy homes back in West Virginia. But when he's in D.C., he lives on, you know, the biggest yacht in the yacht club in the wharf in D.C. Um, in a private yacht club. Um, so you were telling us that you kayaked out to Joe Manchin's yeah. yacht in the... Mm -hmm on the Potomac, right? Yeah, in the wharf houseboat. there, just, just by D.C. Yeah. Yep. Well, he likes to say house. He's in a yacht club, so yeah, I feel like we can call it a yacht. But, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's big. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so we, we kayaked out there. It was primarily West Virginians, and um, we went out there every day for four days, and he finally came out on the, on the fourth day to talk to his own constituents. And, uh, you know, the visuals are really amazing because it's all these – you know, folks from West Virginia who are really in need of a lot of things. And then it's him up, up high on his yacht, leaning over, talking to them. And the moment that sticks in my mind 
is, you know, he's saying, I'm working on this, I'm working on that, everything's fine, we're actually all in agreement, da da da, which of course we're not. And one one uh, woman said, what are you going to do about the poor people? You ha- We have so many poor people in West Virginia. What are you doing to help us? And he just said, I'm taking care of that. Don't worry about it. And it was incredible. It was just incredible. Sad. Yeah. He, he eventually did say, um, you know, why don't you just meet with me? That Why are you out here? You know, just meet with me in the office like a normal person. And of course they said, we've been trying to, <laughs> you know, you're not taking our meetings. You're not listening to us. And uh, so we had him, you know, on camera say that we could have the meeting and uh, gave us the, the, his scheduler's number and stuff. But when we went in for the meeting, which which we did go in for on, on Capitol Hill, um, it was just incredible to watch him totally disregard. It was like he couldn't hear what, you know, these folks were saying. You know, there's a mom there who was there. She's working three jobs and she still has to get food from the food bank. And she's like, your means testing plan is not working. Um, you know, we, you know, we need the child tax credit, you know, all these things. And he like launched into a thing about how working is so important and he really believes in work. And she had just explained that she has three jobs and she's got these kids and like, and um, yeah, he just was, just didn't listen at all. So Kristen, do you have a question for us? Yes. Oh gosh. So many questions. Um, But you know what? I will, I would love to ask, um, since, you know, I'm someone who's working in local politics, um, I would love for you to draw the connection for your listeners between local politics and results at the federal level. I think a lot of people focus on federal results and, and feel like the only elections that they need to take part in for that um, is the federal level elections. Um, and so I would love for you to kind of help explain um, why local elections are so important um, for many reasons, but including the impact that they ultimately have on our congressional races. Ooh, I'd love to throw that one uh, out there. Let me let me do that one, Scotty. You okay with that? Yeah, yeah. You you take that. I'll I'll look, clean up your uh, whatever whatever you get, you get wrong here. So <laughs> I mean, first of all, like the people who provo- provide your last mile of service. Uh, which are your local elected officials and then your regional ones, uh, they actually have more impact on your day-to-day life than the people federally. I mean, the federal issues are broader and and a lot of them are very life-changing, but like the local people have so much control over what's going on on literally your street. Now, that being said, there's a political issue too, which is that the bench for all those federal seats is the people that are in the local elected offices. That's where they learn how government works. And the reason is, is that our government's complicated. And once somebody has the, the puts in the time and energy and resources to get something out of it, which a local official spends probably half their time just dealing with the other levels of government, the state governments, the federal government to try and get things done. Um, they learn that it's, it's not easy. Right. And those people are your most important representatives when you go up the ladder as well. So, I mean, they create the base and the bench for your party. They they get things done right in front of your house in the last mile. And they're the ones who you need to activate the other levels of government in order to get things done. That's why you see them all palling around all the time, because we have divided government. You know, we have local, regional, which is county, uh, state, and federal, and each one does its own thing. And there's a reason for that. We want to divide up the power amongst different governments so that, you know, one layer of government does this, one layer of government does that. But I'll give you an example, right? 
Um, our local mayor in Miami-Dade loved cars, hated trains. For nine years, we got om- like only whatever was in the pipeline as far as mass transit, and he converted a train project into a bus project. Nobody was happy about that. But the, the real tragedy is that he just didn't plan anything else. There's no train in the pipeline. There's nothing else going on. We have a planning board that's made up of all of the local officials, but the county mayor didn't want to lead it. So who stepped in? A person who became the mayor of Miami. He stepped in when he was a commissioner and decided to be part of the local planning board. Well, this is a very ambitious local official, and he got a plan put together, and then he got elected, and then he dumped it. These local officials matter, okay? So everybody thought traffic was not so bad in Miami during the pandemic, which is true because people weren't driving. Now we're back to the same old. We're back to the same kind of traffic. It's even worse. Uh, people are shocked. They're like, man, this pan- this traffic is worse than it was before the pandemic. So uh, local officials matter. They really, really matter. Look, Daniel has been waiting in line very, very patiently uh, for almost the whole show to ask a question. And since we've opened up the floor, I kind of want to keep going and tell everybody else to call in. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. Good to talk to you. So, Daniel, I'm going to bring you up to the stage here. Daniel, thank you so much for being patient and waiting. What's your question? You have something you want to grade with us? What's your comment? Uh, do you think when people vote, do you think people do you think people will vote ba- like will they vote based on party sometimes? Sure. You know, Scott, I think you should go with that one. Yeah, I mean it it depends on a lot of times you'll see people vote, um, you know, across across party lines if they like a candidate and their personality over their actual ideals. Uh, a lot of people, as they had talked about the down ballot races and how they're so important, you know, a, a lot of these people will vote straight Dem ticket if they're a Democrat, and they'll vote straight Republican ticket, as in all the way from federal office down to local offices, they'll vote straight ticket. But there's a lot of people in the middle who will vote on the individual itself and less on the actual ideals or maybe on what they stand for specifically. So it just depends on, you know, who that person is. But there's been more and more of that straight ticket voting where people vote just Democrat and vote just Republican. Um, So we've, we've seen that divide actually less and less of the independent voter that are voting between party lines instead of, uh, you know, polar on opposite. So that's a great question, Daniel. And and I'm going to just say this. um, This is just what's happening locally in Miami. But uh, we've seen a lot of polarization of the nonpartisan races here in Miami. They've always been, uh, you know, there's always been a lot of party involved in in our nonpartisan local races here in Miami. But lately it's just been like all party, party, party. And that can be a little bit frustrating, Um, you know, what can you say? I mean, a lot of times people vote party line and they don't really even know what the party's going to do. And what we've seen is a lot of people uh, voting against their own interests, uh, especially when they're voting Republican, unfortunately. So, uh, Daniel, thank you so much for your, your question. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the answer. Uh, Alex, you're up next. Thanks for joining us. Alex. Welcome to the report card. You got a question, a comment, or something for us to grade. Uh, thanks. thanks for joining us well, tonight. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, 
I, I'm sure I made it no secret that I've uh, been extremely abused as a student, uh, especially uh, in the most sneaky way form, commonly known as behaviorism. And, uh, you know, I've been basically when I graduated, I took a self oath uh, to do whatever it takes to make sure that no more autistic students went through what I went through, even if it meant having to work with Republicans. But uh, I, I've I just uh, posted in the chat that uh, I, I definitely think anyone and everyone listening to this needs to reach out to their Congress members and Senate senators uh, right now to have them ram through the Keeping All Students Safe Act, uh, a.k.a. H.R. 3474, that my congressman has been working on for, according to him, eight years. Uh, and I think... Wow. It could even breach the filibuster because it has support from Mitt Romney and Tim Scott. So uh, that's just my request for everyone, like just to reach out. So there uh, it's like, I don't know why it hasn't passed this year. Uh, Congressman Byer keeps changing his reasons every time I ask him. But uh, one of his main reasons is trying to get as many co-sponsors as possible. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely important that we get that done in fact like if it does get rammed through somehow like but like biden could finally prove to you know most of america that like yay we can get things done and that could really help us in the midterms so thank you for alerting us to that alex i see that there's 108 co-sponsors uh yeah. in in the the house of representatives and that is quite a lot and uh it's it's amazing that you guys have bipartisan support for this bill uh, we don't have time to read it while we're doing the show, but I'm definitely going to take a look afterwards. Thanks for That's bringing okay. it to our attention. I, I explained most of what it's about. We're we're basically trying to, you know, ban seclusion and restraint. Uh, and uh, I think that'll be an excellent counter to recent uh, Virginia laws that had passed uh, thanks to the frickin' red wave in 2021. Uh, but uh, also because of some of the things that our folks uh, had done. Like we're basically letting applied behavioral analysis folks just leap wherever they want within our schools and do whatever they want to autistic students. Like, no, this is too much too soon. So thank you so much for uh, taking the time. <laughs> no, thanks, oh, it's Alex. our and pleasure. We, we, we've always got your back and I know you've always had ours. I just appreciate like how um, everything you've done for coalition and, um, just for you know people people who can't advocate for themselves. So thank you f for your hard work and everything you do, brother. Of course. So we're still taking your calls, everybody. Hop in queue and hit that dial button. Peter, welcome to the report card. Thanks for joining us tonight. How you doing? Mr. Morley. Peter Morley, one of my besties. Peter, you ready? I'm, I'm quietly furious tonight, which, yes, is an oxymoron. Um, as you both are aware, uh, New York State created an independent redistricting commission. Uh, yes, it did. Uh, yes. And I, you know, on my birthday last year, I testified because uh, it's important to do these things as a, uh, a patient, person with disabilities, on how redistricting would 
hurt me and other people with disabilities. Um, Senator Gillibrand was just on a, a local program here in New York, uh, on uh, our local station, New York One. She was on fire. I mean, you guys got to get you got to get a hold of that video. Um, she 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 was very eloquent in in how this is going to hurt New York, how it's going to further disenfranchise um, vulnerable communities, uh, people of color, people who are already disenfranchised, but it's going to further do it. It's a, it's an extreme t- attack on New York. There are five uh, House uh, Democrats that are extremely vulnerable. It's pitting uh, uh, uh Nadler against Maloney were both uh, chair people of their committees of the uh, Judiciary and the Oversight Committee. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, it, it's actually kicking me out of uh, my district uh, to even, you know, support either one of them. It, I'm so, I've been so enraged about this. Um, I, I, this is not my forte. So I don't know how to, I don't know how to amplify it, but since this is a uh, report card, I've given them an F minus, 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 minus. And, <laughs> so. Oh man. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough when these kind of things happen. Um, you know, I, I'm dealing with it on a local level personally. So I feel you in, in my, uh, my local community, my uh, city commission district, uh, literally they, they cut me, my neighborhood in half. Wow. Uh, and during the redistricting hearings, two commissioners were arguing about getting a commercial venue that has absolutely nobody living there and a plan to make a bigger commercial venue. And they were just fighting over who was going to get a better bribe for working on rezoning this piece of land. Um, so uh, redistricting is always difficult. So they, they split my neighborhood in half and, uh, Holy cow, dude. I mean, like you literally like cross like the main street where I live and that's in somebody else's district now. What's ever going to get yep. done over here? Nothing. No, that's you know? exactly what ha- that's exactly what happened. Like literally like my I'm on the uh, the southwest corner and the northwest corner is the is is my old district or will be my old district. So it's like literally cut me like right out of the district. And you know what? I am taking this personally because I did testify at that damn hearing. Um, so, you know, I, I can go and say some vulgarities, but it sounds like you have young people on this show. I will, I will refrain from doing that. But what, here's my question. What can we do? What are some actionable things we can do? Because do we have absolutely no power in this? But, you know, I'm always trying to empower people. So what can we do? You know, it's tough. I mean, I guess you can go ahead and give public comment to the redistricting commission. Uh, It seems like this is one of those uh, great ideas that wasn't implemented quite as great as the idea. Um, And that makes it difficult. You know, it's it's like all in litigation right now, right? Yeah, I mean, the the hearing is I mean, the final hearing. I mean, they they did the the draft proposals dropped on Monday uh, they had the final hearing, a public hearing in the Finger Lakes. I mean, that's like the most northern part of New York. 
which is like in like an eight hour drive from New York City. Um, it's a Republican judge that is hearing this. So, I mean, you know, they definitely oh, wow. judge shopped. Um, and, and the hearing is Friday. And like other than a sudden type of injunction or appeal or whatever, I mean, this is going to go into effect. Yeah, the, it's the deadline for the final congressional map is on Friday. And, and I'll tell you what, it's there's very little we can do at this point about it. And it's sad. It's pathetic to see cheating like this. And I don't like it when people are undercut. I especially don't like it when people's districts are changed, when it's such a, a condensed area as yours is. Um, and there's no sense to it whatsoever. You know, it's right. just to, to screw things up. But yeah, there's there's very little that can be done as of right now. What needs to be this this goes back to the local argument of the people who are putting together these redistricting committees. Republicans have focused on this so much, even though Democrats are still in control of it. And, in and New let me York, say, it, it, it's th- really been a Democratic controlled thing. But Republicans have played with this for years. But there's something else going on here, and I just want to like zoom out and point out the big picture for everybody. Okay. Um, do you remember all the wrangling about the census? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. Okay. So what happened? Well, the pandemic hit and the census was late. And then they couldn't right. certify it, which is kind of fortunate because we know that the census wasn't behaving right under Trump. And so they had to kind of redo some things. And then it all became late. And that's what caused this whole dilemma. But the Republicans looked at it as like a win-win. We're going to attack the census, do it illegally, try to tilt the the count. First, we're going to tilt the count to break the maps. Then we're going to make sure that if that doesn't work, the count's going to be so late, it's going to screw up the maps. I mean, this is some undemocratic stuff. And there's nobody in the Senate that thinks the filibuster is less important than democracy itself. So this is a problem. This is a big problem, and we're going to face it during the 2022 midterms. And all I can say to everybody on the call is you're going to have to really work your butts off and organize and try to get more Democrats registered. That's, I think, the only thing we can do right now, getting more uh, Democrats registered to vote in places that need it. We need people like uh, Peter Morley to run for office as well. I'm just going to say that. I'm just saying that. (laughs) Okay. I just want to say one more thing before I go. Um, Christian, if you're still on, you're a hero to me. Thank you for everything that you do. That's awesome. And well, Peter, you're one of my heroes, and I will carry your jacket and bag any day that you testify in Congress or not. I remember it was the beginning of COVID, right? Like, and you and yeah. I were looking at each other like, what, what kind of, like, people aren't taking this very seriously. But at yeah. the same time, we were looking at each other like, should we use you know, some of this stuff like the masks and, and things like that. And everybody was just looking at each other like, are we supposed to be meeting with each other? <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah. it's just, it was just fascinating. But seeing you uh, testify in front of Congress uh, in the other time, and then you out there in front when we ran the remove Trump, uh, the impeachment effort, um, just appreciate you so much showing up at the protests and being a leader um, during that, that time as well. I uh, Thank you so much for everything you do, brother. Thank you. Thank you both. You both are, you know, you know me. We, this is a love fest here, but you both mean the world to me. So thank you. Great job. Thanks, Peter. And I'll keep listening. 
Awesome. So, hey, uh, we've got a whole list of things we haven't talked about, and it's a big list of interesting things. I think we should at least pick one or two of these things out. Like, for yeah. example, Madison Cawthorn. Oh, my God. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> it's like good riddance to this shit bag. I, 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 you know, to kids listening, don't listen to my language, but I will say this this guy is trash of the earth, and, and I, I don't like calling people names, but this guy is is terrible. He's he was he's he's terrible for I know they call me grandpa because I don't use bad language sometimes. But so anyways, it, Madison Cawthorn deserved to lose. He will be back, I'm sure, at some point for some kind of office and we'll have to fend him off. But this is this is great news and this is the way out. This is the way in Republican districts how we can knock out uh, some of these people is by pushing them out in primaries. Well, I mean, we can't get other Republicans to destroy every bad Republican. I think <laughs> <Not much. laughs> if that was Not the plan, much. I mean, we should encourage every Republican to discuss the cocaine orgies a little bit more. Notice how fast his like? – <laughs> like, Is there a sign-up sheet? I know that they – remember that when she ha- hold up that uh, anti-transgender sign outside of – in front of Marie Newman's uh, office, her, her – uh, oh, Marjorie um, Taylor Greene. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they put they replaced that sign with uh, a sign up for uh, Republican orgies kind of thing. <laughs> so so <laughs> they, they made a new meme of that. Uh, oh, I mean, that's he, great. <laughs> I am sure he's going to spill the beans because everybody's turned on him in the party. So why not? He's going to have to have a book, right? I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, he might cash in with the book, which would be pretty awesome because this would be the first book that nobody's holding back until it's too late. Uh, On the other hand, he might sit there and think, well, maybe I can get these mean, angry Republican people to like me again, so I better shut up now that I've talked too much. Who knows? Who knows what's going through the mind of Madison Cawthorn? (laughs) I don't even think he knows what's going through the mind of Madison Cawthorn at this point. Uh yeah, this was just kind of unprecedented. Do you have a grade for Madison? Uh, I mean, I, after failure, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't even know how to be uh, coy with it. Like, f, forget the f out, like that. Like, get out, get out, like go away, disappear. You're done. Bye. <laughs> Alex hopes that MTG is next. I mean, that's a tall order because I don't think MTG really has a primary opponent. Uh, but Marcus Flowers has like a boatload of cash, a lot more than she does. Unfortunately, it's a heavily Republican district. Second heavily, Republican heavily. in the country. Yeah. 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 Love and that's Marcus, why she went though. from North Georgia. That's why she went from, from Atlanta to North Georgia, because Atlanta is like a blue island over there. Yeah, no she way she's going to win anything in Atlanta. Yeah. No, well, no she, way. Yeah. She moved out of district, you know, like, right. like she carpet bagged. <laughs> How ironic. <laughs> That's how ironic. Her. That's how that's how she she rolls, and I and we couldn't be so lucky. We were lucky enough to remember Grant and I um, helped run the uh, expulsion effort against her, and that led to her being removed from committees. So um, there were some kind of consequences, and you know our friends at uh, Free Speech for the People had filed those uh, the legal challenge against her candidacy, which ultimately um, had lost, but it led to her having to testify under oath. And, you know, there were, again, some kind of consequences to that. Really? I cannot recall. 
I mean, it had to have been like 80 times that she said that on the stand. It's just, just as yeah. pathetic, you know? You know? Yeah. Hey, we've got a caller, Carson. We are going to take your call. And please, this is your chance. Mash that call button. Carson, thank you for joining us on the report card. You got a comment, question, you want us to grade something in the news. Um, I don't have anything to say. I just want to say I love your guys' podcast. Oh, That's thank awesome. you, Carson. That's Thanks for joining awesome. us tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. So uh, next on our list is a rather interesting development. I would say personally a little bit sad. Uh, what is going on with Elon Musk joining the Republican Party? Now, he's not joining the party, but he says he's going to vote for Republicans. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, he's the world's richest man and he wants to buy better politicians. I guess that's probably his plan there. I don't know. I mean, maybe he you know, can reformat. He, maybe he can bring, you know, Mitt Romney and Kinzinger and Cheney to the front. Um, but that doesn't seem like he, what he wants to do. He wants to bring Trump back. Like that's I, I don't understand exactly what his goal here is. I don't know either, and I'm telling you right now, the reason why he's stalling is not because of bots. I mean, a lot of people are like, ah, oh, he wants to negotiate a better price. Maybe that's so too. But the fact is, is that he hurt his own net worth through this whole thing. I mean, he did. And from what I've been reading, he can't just back out. You know? Like... A billion he can't dollars just plus. back out. Yeah. Well, a billion dollars is the breakup fee, but I think that he's beyond the point where he can just pay a breakup fee and walk away. And the the board at Twitter is kind of like, no, 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 no. Like, you offered us a 20% premium. We said yes. Like, we've got a non-contingent contract. Th this could really get ugly. I mean, I think we could see Twitter suing him, probably just to try and get more money, which uh, I, I don't blame them. And uh, Janet comments that Elon is not uh, liquid enough. Um, yeah, that's kind of the bigger problem that, you know, by pledging Tesla stock for the deal, when Tesla stock dr dropped in the tank and lost three or four hundred billion in value, well, he lost some of the leverage he needed to buy this company, Twitter. So that's why he's been courting all these investors and looking for financing. And I was saying it before, the discipline of the debt will change the way he behaves. This is not going to be Elon Musk by himself. He's going to have a lot of people to answer to, maybe even more people than the people running the public company at the rate he's going. Right. Somebody asked me if I was going to buy a Tesla, and I was like, first of all, can't afford it. Second of all, no, I'm not going to be buying a Tesla anytime soon. But I, I don't understand. The people who are buying Teslas, for the most part, are not uh, Republicans, from what I see. Yeah. I mean, I, I see people canceling orders left and right, and I'm, I'm like, first of all, like, I mean, why are you I, waiting so long for a car? But like, I mean, all of it upsets me because I think Elon was doing what he was meant to be doing, making electric cars. Uh, you know, he was, he, he, you know, try, you know, the rockets and and all this really cool stuff, you know, like uh, flamethrowers and boring holes and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, even if I don't think it was the greatest idea to bore a hole under Miami, uh, which is sitting on some porous uh, <laughs> limestone rock. But, you know, um Oh no! I knew somebody who uh, they they dealt with a sinkhole at work this week, like literal sinkhole. Um, they had parked their car near this sinkhole, and then all of a sudden, I guess there was just like a cone up around it, and then 
there's just a sinkhole that kind of popped up. So maybe Elon needs to go check that out. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Uh, no, man. Like, I, I just think he was doing the right thing. And, and Twitter, like, you know, like if he just went in without all the headlines and fuss and this and that and just fixed a few things that maybe they couldn't. Like, this might actually be a brilliant deal for him, but it's not starting to look that way. It's starting to look like he's going to have trouble getting out of his own way, and that's kind of sad to me. Yeah, the people who have been fixing things on Twitter are people like us. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's not – like, there's no – no. there's a fact that, you know, Trump got pushed off the platform because of people like us. There's a, a fact that the fact-checking and people getting removed from the platform overall is because of people like us, and it's uh, – going to be run by people like us it's going to continue to be run by people like us as long as this platform stays free and open but you can't run around yelling fire in a crowded theater and that's what he wants to allow people to do and it's just so ridiculous well, it's a lot selfish. worse than fire in a crowded theater i mean obviously obviously you know the, the the issue that he's going to run into is that once you start permitting uh a lot of just uh you know problematic speech right when you knowingly permit it, then you can start being held accountable for it, even with the liability shield, the Section 230 of the CDA. So I just think like, hey, you know, once you become a private company, like these lawsuits can start to add up. I mean, if you go out there and make a bunch of bad decisions and collect a lot of bad liabilities, you know, it'll hurt the company that he's buying and he's buying a company make no mistake this has to be a business deal for for elon this is too much money and too much headache and too much time to tie up uh just for something that's like a porsche for a rich guy this is far more than that and that's what tesla investors said when they dumped the stock you know besides the fact that if the bet fails then tesla could collapse he could collapse tesla or collapse its capital structure if he screws up Twitter, I, I, it's just a bad bet to me. As a business person, I, I, I want to take risks that I know are going to pan out. And, you know, this just seems like just way like over the top kind of crazy bet. Uh, just way over the top. Way, yeah, way, 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 way. I think we should do a little rapid session because these last four things are hugely important. We can start with Fetterman. Let's grade uh, them. Yeah, so Fetterman wins PA uh, Senate and Dr. Oz, who's up by 0.1%. My, what, do you, what do you think about that race? So what I love is that we're not hearing anything about voter fraud. They're like, oh, we've got to count the absentee ballots, everybody. Uh, we're not going to know who won the race until tomorrow. They matter now. They They're like, oh, now, these right? count. Oh, we have to make sure everybody's vote counts. Where were you a year and a half ago? Um, you know, it's one of these things where, you know, it's not the greatest thing. Unfortunately, John Fetterman has a health problem right now, you know, and and he wasn't available to accept the nomination, but thank goodness they caught it. I just want you to think about Joe Biden. Uh, Not everybody knows that Joe Biden actually had a life threatening, uh, a life threatening brain problem. He had an aneurysm. Uh, right after he dropped out of the 1988 presidential campaign. Right. And if he hadn't dropped out of that race, he might have died. You know, he might have just thought that it was a headache and not done anything about it. And I feel like that kind of awareness is what saved John Fetterman from having a worse problem. And so I'm thankful 
that, you know, he had a stroke, but he went and sought medical attention right away instead of toughing it out and, and suffering through a much more worst case scenario. Fetterman, Oz, who do you think wins and by how much? Oh, man. I mean, the political climate is so bad for Democrats right now. I'm not going to lie. But Republicans dislike Dr. Oz as much as Democrats dislike Dr. Oz. I think that John Fetterman has a chance to get a lot of crossover voters because he's a real authentic Pennsylvanian. He's a very authentic person. He's not a sculpted political figure. He is very much an outsider. And when Pennsylvanians go to the polls or don't go to the polls, I think that's going to weigh on a lot of their minds. Yeah. I think Fetterman by eight. And it's because of Shapiro included with Fetterman. I, I think that, that every man standing out in freezing cold in shorts at a site where the bridge crashed, you know what I mean? Like that is a badass that we need in the Senate. Um, so I think the combination of Shapiro and him is, is unbeatable in Pennsylvania. And I think that they'll pull away by over five. That's my thought. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think that also President Biden could be helpful in eastern Pennsylvania, but I'm not sure if they'll bring him there or not. Um, you know, that'll be up to the polls and what how, how things are going. Um, obviously, Democrats have some time to, to run things up. And uh, just a reminder, my Newsweek uh, op-ed, you know, we dropped uh, about a guideline for Democrats and what, what they need to run on. I mean, the, it's, it's all there, but I, we need the messaging master, Mr. Grant's turn to be out in front of this because obviously that is one of the reasons why we won the 2020 election. Just going to go ahead and say that. Well, that, that would be a lot of fun. So, uh, hopefully somebody, you're not the only one. (laughs) We 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 certainly don't just wave a magic wand and make it happen. It takes a lot of folks saying we want this to happen. So so here's another thing. Russian soldier pled fully quote unquote guilty for war crimes, killing an innocent civilian. What do you think about this? I mean, obviously, this is not something Putin wants to see because he doesn't think that it's a war. He's trying to act like, the, you know, Ukraine causes on themselves or whatever. But I think this is a huge deal and it's a huge turning point. What do you think about that? I'll tell you what, man. I read a Wall Street Journal article on Apple News about right. uh, what it was uh, three brothers and the Russians murdered two of them and shot Jesus. the third, but they missed. Okay. They shot the third and they missed and it was like, it was just horrifying. I mean, this is just some real Nazi shit. Like if the Russians want to de-Nazi, uh, denazify anywhere, start with the Kremlin. Um, start with the people ordering this. I mean, they, uh, you know, they go, they occupy a town, uh, they, something happens to a military vehicle and then they go and round up everybody that's ever served and start executing people left and right. And I mean, it's just, it's horrifying. Like the wall street journal, the opinion page is different than the the news guys. Okay. And their newsroom is absolutely fantastic. Okay. And this was, it was written in chilling detail. I mean, they went to Ukraine they found the torture chamber with the third brother they uh, with the map. And I mean, it's just, it, but every story, there's thousands of these. 
it is so so upsetting and i think that anybody who reads about this and learns about this these kind of war crimes understands uh why we really bear moral responsibility to support ukraine in fighting back the this invasion um do you have any uh, just... final thoughts for the for the week for our listeners i'll just say that um you know if, if anybody wants to take action you can go to democraticcoalition.org you can also uh, visit workingreport.com for our, our other podcast episodes, um, which we have over a hundred of. Um, and, uh, you know, I just appreciate everybody's support. Um, you know, this is the best episode we've done to date. I can tell you that for a fact. So I appreciate everybody listening and tuning in. Um, Grant, any final thoughts for our listeners? Guys, uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I mean, we're here to chat with you guys and both the chat and all the call-ins. You guys have been wonderful. That's first of all. And second of all, stay engaged. Stay engaged. You know, I know, I know the pain that you feel when you see something terrible uh, happening, right? And it's that pain, that empathy, those feelings that, that can, you know, you have to manage that. Like you have to manage it. Like it can make you feel bad and say, I just don't want to be involved. You have to learn how to let some of that bad feeling slide off your back like water off a duck's back and just push through and keep engaged because that's the only way that change happens. You know, nobody makes change by saying this is this is upsetting. I'm just going to sit at home and do nothing. And the worst part is, is that there are politicians who know that doing these kind of upsetting things discourages people and it demoralizes people. And that's their goal. Don't let them win. Grant Stern for the freaking win. That's awesome. We're definitely going to cut that, man. That was awesome from the heart. Um, so call in.com. You can join us anytime. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, uh, the report card on Apple Podcasts as well, and anywhere else you can get your podcasts. Um, so I'm Scott Dworkin. And I'm Grant Stern. And this is the report card. <laughs> <laughs>